You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 39 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. Today, Leah and I are excited to invite to the podcast for the first time our director of our Office of Marine Safety, Morgan Terrell. Welcome, Morgan. So happy to have you on today. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Stephanie. We are releasing this podcast during National Safe Boating Week, and so we are thrilled to have you on today to talk about marine safety. Uh, This will be our first marine podcast that we are hosting, and we are very excited to have you on. Uh, As we do with all of our guests, we offer an opportunity for them, for you to give a little background on where your journey took you um, to get to the board. So if you can kind of give us a little background on, on you, Morgan, that would be great. Yes, thanks. Uh, So I graduated from the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy and spent 11 years working aboard a variety of commercial ships, tankers, bulk carriers, and cargo ships. For five years, I worked as captain of an oceanographic research ship and port captain at a university. Mm -hmm. Uh, In those years, I had the opportunity to travel to many ports in the world and and, uh, meet a lot of people and do a lot of great things. The industry was changing at the time, particularly after significant events like Exxon Valdez and other accidents. Mm -hmm. So I became really interested in accident investigation. And in 2003, I was really fortunate to be hired by the agency in the Office of Marine Safety as a entry-level investigator. So I was just going to say, so you don't have much of a marine background like at all. (laughs) (laughs) Some, Some would say too much, perhaps. But it's, uh, most, most of our staff are, all former mariners that we've all worked in the industry. And even to this day, uh, I still maintain my Coast Guard license, uh, as many of our staff do. So we have a very small staff in the Office of Marine Safety. Mm-hmm. We have a total of uh, 22 persons. We have 10 investigators right now, four terrific writers, and some great managers, all of whom have been to sea in various capacities. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a very large mandate. We investigate accidents aboard U.S. ships anywhere in the world. And any uh, accident that meets our mandate within 12 miles of U.S. waters, including uh, Puerto Rico and territories. So we have a large uh, jurisdiction and we're a small staff, but we get around and we ex- uh, investigate about 40 cases a year. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot for a small team. Mm-hmm. In April, we announced our and adopted our new most wanted list. And one of the safety items featured on that list is improved passenger and fishing vessel safety. Can you describe that safety item for us, please? Sure. Well, the agency has always been interested in passenger vessel safety and have investigated accidents aboard duck boats, ferries, and others. A number of critical safety recommendations have been made in this area. The fishing industry is one of the more dangerous occupations, and each year, dozens of fatalities result from it, and the board is interested in saving lives, so we selected these two items to where we can make a difference. Morgan, I know that um, during the board meeting, you it was mentioned that um, the fishing industry was one of the most dangerous occupations, and I honestly was not aware of that. Can you share a little bit about what, what makes it so dangerous? Well, it, they operate oftentimes, particularly in the North Pacific and the Alaska fisheries in extremely hazardous weather conditions. And that's an area of concern, weather forecasting and particularly icing is a stability issue uh, where mm-hmm. a vessel gets into very heavy wind and spray and 
the vessel and all the crab pots in particular, they um, ice accumulates and can rapidly sort of rapidly degrade the vessel stability, and, and that's a real concern. There are other concerns in the fishing industry, a lot of fires, um, the material condition of vessels, crew training. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's been an area where we've gone in before. We had a fishing vessel safety forum about 10 years ago. We made some mm-hmm. safety recommendations, and uh, we're following up on that now with this most wanted list. Okay. And I have to say, um, when we were developing the most wanted list and all the graphics and collateral that goes along with it, um, we have included a, an image of one of those vessels that is coated completely in ice. And I really had no idea that that sort of thing um, was was a problem and and caused some some issues on the water. It's a safety concern for all vessels, not just fishing, but oftentimes fishing vessels are very small and they don't have a lot of reserve buoyancy capability, a lot of extra tanks, for example, that would give them reserve buoyancy. So anything that degrades their stability and does so very quickly, uh, things happen very fast. And icing Mm -hmm. is one of those negative conditions caused by the weather. But uh, down in the the Gulf of Mexico, you have hurricane conditions, tropical storms. And so that's also a concern. Um, But we also have accidents on the Northeast fisheries as well. And so it's it's there's sure. a lot of different sectors in fishing. So we're going to take a look at all of them. And just as you know, out of curiosity, as mm-hmm. a marine investigator and with your background um, in marine, uh, how do you feel about those uh, shows that are on like Discovery Channel and TLC, like the deadliest catch? What goes through your mind when you're watching those? Uh, I try not to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I, they're they're terrific TV shows and and there are a lot of great programs about the industry and and uh, the the deadliest catch and some others are are very um, great depictions of the weather conditions that these mm-hmm. people have to face. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a lot of tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. They they have a very short window to catch their fishing quotas and. Uh, they are operating in absolutely the worst conditions found pretty much in the entire maritime industry. So a lot of danger and a lot of risk with high reward. They get paid very well when they do a good catch. So Right, right. So with all these um, safety issues that are impacting the marine industry, um, can you talk to us about how your office determined which safety items, the fishing vessel safety and the passenger um passenger safety, how you decided or how you determined that those were the the items to be placed on the most wanted list? Well, it's a long process. It's a very thoughtful process and uh, begins uh, almost a year in advance of the deadline. Uh, so the agency, the NTSB, provided the Office of Marine Safety with a methodology to use. Uh, all the modes use the same method. Uh, we grouped open safety recommendations together into various categories, and we ended up with about a dozen safety topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we weighed, we sort of evaluated each safety topic uh, against four criteria, mm-hmm. and those criteria were the level of validation, level of action, level of risk, and the potential benefit from increased advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, each office used the same uh, safety topics and weighed uh, each of those criteria with some subjective uh, judgments on our part. 
So all the office managers, we, we took a poll, if you will, and sort of came up with the scores. And in the end, uh, essentially, we had a few topics where we presented to the agency, to the board, and the board decided to select passenger vessel and fishing vessel safety. Sure. Are there any um, accidents or investigations that you have completed um, that really highlight the importance of focusing on this safety issue? So the first, uh, we'll, we'll tackle the passenger vessel safety first. Sure. So mm-hmm. the recent investigations come to mind, the Caribbean Fantasy, which is a ferry between uh, Dominican Republic and San Juan, Puerto Rico, experienced a fire. 500 passengers had to evacuate. Uh, one experienced an injury, but it was a, what we call a near miss. Uh, the mm-hmm. and, Well, I mean, the ship experienced extensive damage due to an engine fire, and fortunately no, no one died, but it's one of those wake-up calls uh, where we made some recommendations uh, to for ship owners, particularly ferries, to evaluate how much firefighting water is available in their fixed fire suppression systems. Hmm. And then we also looked at the Island Lady, which was a small excursion craft out of Florida that experienced a fire that destroyed the entire vessel. Uh, one person died. Uh, another, if you will, uh, tragedy that was preventable. We found that there was no fire detection systems inside the unoccupied engine spaces where the most heat and fuel exist. And then finally, of course, the most tragic, the conception, which killed 34 persons, one of the deadliest maritime accidents we've investigated for decades. Mm. And again, uh, the lack of fire detection in in spaces on board uh, could have prevented those 34 deaths. So those were the, the, the primary accidents driving recommendations in the passenger vessel item. And then the fishing vessel, uh, the 2017 accident aboard the FV uh, fishing vessel destination uh, sank with all the crew aboard up in the Bering Sea. And the board is also investigating other fishing vessel accidents. One is the Scandies Rose, which the board will meet in late June to uh, consider our draft report on the Scandies Rose accident, which killed another uh, handful of people. And it's really tragic. Uh, It highlights a lot of recommendations that we made a decade ago at the Fishing Vessel Safety Forum. Uh, Those recommendations had to do with vessel stability, uh, crew members' understanding of stability, and also crew training in emergencies. So um, they're really, again, it's one of the more dangerous industries in the maritime domain. So we have to pay attention to it. Sure. Absolutely. And just to, you know, if our listeners are interested in learning more about this, we have our uh, Safer Seas Digest that your that your office puts out um, every year that really is a um, detailed compendium of everything that, that has been done. Um, do you want to share a little bit about that document? Yes, we, we started that publication uh, about eight or eight years ago or so. And it, it's a compendium, a digest of all the reports that Office of Marine Safety publishes in a calendar year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the latest publication, as you mentioned, is 2019. Mm-hmm. And basically what we do is we take all of our reports, we create a, a summary and include a lot of great photographs. And it's a real good graphical tool for owners and operators to use as training on board vessels. And uh, it sort of creates a, a good snapshot of where the industry is as far as major marine casualties every year. And uh, 
So we, we expect the next one will be published, uh, Safer Seeds Digest 2020, sometime later this year, or early next year. Mm-hmm. Great. So with this uh, safety item for uh, improved passenger and fishing vessel safety, uh, there are 36 safety recommendations associated with it. Would you talk to us about what safety investments uh, need to be made to improve the safety for fishing and passenger vessel industries? Well, all the recommendations that the board makes are very important, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter which uh, accident they, they stem from. But in the most wanted list process, we, we really want to um, key on certain areas where we can advocate for and, and get something done in the short term. Uh, the big priority items for passenger vessels include uh, addressing the roving patrols that we found in the conception that didn't happen. Uh, that roving patrol was a key regulatory measure that ensured that crew members were looking for uh, safety problems on board the, the dive boat that night. Those roving patrols were not being done, and it's difficult to uh, for the Coast Guard to evaluate roving patrols uh during their normal inspection process. So we've asked them to take a look at that in particular. Also installing fire detection systems. We've asked owners and operators and the industry to act uh, prior to regulation uh, because it's something that, you know, fire detection systems are very ubiquitous. All of us have seen them in our homes. They've seen them in our recreational vehicles, aircraft, Mm -hmm. and uh, they save lives. And it's just, uh, it's inexcusable that they're not, on board small passenger vessels, and we, th- we think we can make a big improvement there. For the fishing industry, we believe that stability uh, continues to be an issue. We saw it in the destination. We're seeing it again in Scandi's Rose, and uh, we need some action uh, to address those recommendations we made. We expect to be making more recommendations in this area, both in the Scandi's Rose and, and upcoming accidents. Finally, of course, we need safety management systems implemented on passenger vessels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe that safety management systems save lives, uh, allow owners and operators to catch risk prior to an accident, and that's a key preventative measure we think is important. Sure. Who who um, who do you imagine, or who have the recommendations um, been made to? Who really can can take the action that's needed to improve safety in these areas? So just because we make a recommendation, uh, that doesn't preclude vessel owners, operators, associations, or even crew members from taking voluntary action. Uh, and we encourage that. Uh, mm-hmm. Work with the local sector invest- uh, inspectors, the Coast Guard, to to improve safety on board your vessels is, is something you can do right now. But eventually the Coast Guard will need to act in many of these areas to implement our recommendations. Sure. You work quite closely with the Coast Guard. Can you just talk a little bit about the relationship that the NTSB has with the Coast Guard? Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank the Coast Guard for um, they help us in every single investigation that we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you imagine inside the maritime domain, there are thousands of incidents and accidents every year. And the most serious of those, about 40 or 50 each year, constitute what they call major marine casualty. That's where the NTSB uh, enters the accident investigation process. Uh, the Coast Guard investigates every single one of those two or 3,000 investigations every year. Mm-hmm. And when the major marine casualty occurs, both the Coast Guard and the NTSB are required to investigate. So in order to reduce the duplication of work, both for 
the vessel owners and operators and members of the public, the Coast Guard and NTSB work together to investigate and collect facts uh, on the ground. So witness interviews, document collection, uh, experiments, or any studies we do, we do together to create the factual record. And then both agencies, the Coast Guard and NTSB, will then produce their own analysis and their own set of recommendations and probable cause statements. And uh, one example would be the El Faro, which uh, was a ship sure. that sank in 2015. Mm-hmm. The Coast Guard created a very comprehensive report, as did the NTSB, and uh, very similar recommendations came out of both reports. There were some differences, but um, it's another step of oversight that the NTSB provides. Uh, and oftentimes we make recommendations to the Coast Guard stemming from our accidents. Sure. We have a uh, we have an MOU with the Coast Guard uh, that sort of guides us through the process and and who takes the lead in an accident investigation, so that everyone knows um, what the rules are, because the Coast Guard operates under different rules than we do. Uh, so it's very important to make that determination very quickly. We have an MOU that was signed in 2008 uh, that guides this process. We are about to sign a new MOU with the Coast Guard. In June, June 17th, we expect mm-hmm. to uh, renew that relationship, which is uh, the best it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And part of that's mm-hmm. due to the people of the Coast Guard uh, that work all over the United States and Washington, D.C. to improve safety. And, and we work with them collaboratively on, at every level. That's great. Segwaying a little bit back to the um, most wanted list as our podcast kind of weaves its way through this uh, different conversation. I'm, it's so fascinating to see how the relationship between the Coast Guard and the NTSB works. So thanks for that. Um, the NTSB most wanted list, it covers a two-year time frame. Uh, what progress do you hope to see in the next two years that you believe can really be accomplished um, to improve the safety for passenger and fishing vessels? So uh, I think immediately, like I mentioned before, the installation of fire detection systems is something that needs to happen. Uh, it needs to happen voluntarily. It needs to happen by regulation. Uh, that needs something that needs to be done very quickly. Mm-hmm. The next major item is the implementation of SMS or safety management systems aboard small passenger vessels. Uh, the Coast Guard has has acted now. They are um, they have a proposed rulemaking in progress. It's a long process to create regulation in, in any mode of transportation. And the maritime mode is no different. And the Coast Guard has a long involved process that involves uh, public comments. Uh, we've encouraged this for a very long time, and the Coast Guard is, is acting now that the towing industry had a large um, uh, regulatory project, subchapter M, and they finally got through that and a successful implementation by the Coast Guard. So now that they're working on fishing and uh, passenger vessel safety, we think SMS will be implemented in the near future. But that's something that I would like to see done. Uh, the next, of course, is the stability on fishing vessels. And I think that's something that our accident reports, both the Scandies Rose and uh, another one or two accidents will bring to the public's attention to fishing vessel stability. Sure. We've, we've talked a lot about kind of what owners, operators can do and what regulators could do, but, you know, you, we pointed to a couple of investigations that are, you know, a ferry, um, duck boat, and then conception dive boat for, for people that are 
looking to go on one of those types of boating trips or um, what, what advice do you have for them to just help them make, I guess, an informed, safe decision? I mean, would it be reasonable to ask the operator, you know, do you have fire suppression systems, detectors? What is, I, I mean, are those things that we as consumers could, you know, ask, ask before we get on board? So I think it's, it's important to do your research um, before you go on board any vessel, whether it's privately owned or commercially owned or operated. Do your research, uh, look on the website, and one of the first indicators is how, how important a safety to this operation will be if there's a safety briefing. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on board, there should be plenty of markings as to where life preservers are located where emergency exits are. You should see a lot of placards and signs pointing to safety equipment. Uh, There should be early sort of conversations with the crew about safety. Uh, If you, if you think about this, they should be telling you where your life jackets are before they tell you what's for dinner. Sure. Uh, Sure. uh, So if their, if their emphasis is on, you know, how to take a good selfie or what, what's on the menu, uh, you know, that might not be a good sign. Safety is important. Uh, vessels are inherently, they have a, an ability to cause injury or damage to particularly those people who are not paying attention. So um, also avoid stairwells. Uh, when the vessel's docking and undocking, the vessel can move uh, in a very unpredictable fashion. Mm-hmm. And so I would urge passengers to avoid stairwells in the, those periods of time when the vessel's approaching dock. Um, we've seen some accidents happen in that regard. So uh, also know where the life preservers are, know how to put them on. Uh, if you're going on a longer cruise, for example, the cruise industry will do a safety briefing, uh, and demonstrate how to put life jackets on, tell you where they're stowed, and where to muster in an emergency, where to, where you should go and your family. Um, also know that the crew are professionals. The crew and, and operators of vessels are usually well-trained, and uh, they do training often. And so while they are there for your passenger comfort they're primarily there for your safety and uh, so if you have any questions ask them if you're not getting the right answer or something you know you're not getting your question answered correctly go ask someone else Uh, but generally vessels are very safe and secure Uh, accidents are quite rare Uh, for private boating certainly know where the life jackets are I would encourage people who are not familiar with boating to wear life preservers when outside on deck at all times Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can find yourself in the water very quickly. The maritime environment, particularly weather, can change. So that's something else to, for the passenger to look at. Uh, you know, if there's severe weather forecast, uh, we've seen accidents where passenger vessels succumb to extreme weather. So I would mm-hmm. include that in your checklist. I, I would want to offer just a little um, side anecdote that I've been on one cruise in my life. Um and that was way before I worked for the NTSB. And uh, at the time, I thought it was so awkward where we were all asked to come to the auditorium wearing our life jackets. And, you know, you're with a bunch of strangers and then your family and everyone's all, you know, hunched into their life jackets and you have to sit through the briefing and everything. And I, you know, remember thinking like I'd so much rather be on the deck, you know, 
sunning, suntanning or whatever. (laughs) But, you know, in hindsight, I'm so thankful that, you know, these cruise ships take the opportunity and take the time and and require all passengers to go through this because, you know, in the event of an emergency, when, you know, your mind starts spinning and you're not sure what to do, having that quick training um, is, is, can mean the difference between life and death sometimes. So here's a story about that. Uh, the Casa Concordia is a good example. So a very modern cruise ship, um, very well-trained crew, very well-trained, you know, modern, brand-new ship. Uh, and the, the crew and the passengers did not conduct a safety briefing for the passengers that had just boarded. And they were going to do a safety briefing the next day. Uh, however, they never got a chance to because the vessel ran aground and had the you know, capsizing and grounding Mm-hmm. Literally the same evening, passengers had just boarded. Mm. So as a result of that accident, uh, worldwide cruise ship operators are required to do that briefing uh, when the passengers board. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll do it, you know, at the dock or while the vessel's just getting underway. It's extremely important for everyone to know how to react in an emergency the moment they get on board the ship, mm-hmm. because accidents happen as the Concordia shows that. Uh, access can happen anytime. So yeah. putting it off doesn't help. Right. So even if you want to be on deck at the pool, suntanning, yeah. go to so, the safety briefing. <laughs> one, one of the other problems people have is they've just traveled across the country mm-hmm. and they've arrived at the cruise ship and they've gone to um, take advantage of the buffet right away. <laughs> uh, and they've, they've uh, certainly perhaps overindulged at the buffet and sure. they're, sleep- they're sleepy. And <laughs> suddenly at three in the afternoon, they're being called to a muster to um, do a very important safety briefing. But passengers should know that when they come on board that they mm-hmm. will be required and to plan accordingly. It's very important that they do that. The buffet can wait. <laughs> be It'll be there 24, 24 hours. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So as we said, uh, this week is National Safe Boating Week and uh, the official launch of the 2021 Safe Boating Campaign. It promotes the value of life. Excuse me. It promotes the value of life jacket wearing by recreational boaters. And it has been uh, nearly three decades since the NTSB issued its safety study on personal watercraft safety and ways to improve safety. One of the recommendations that came out of that study was for states to enact legislation to require the use of life jackets while operating personal watercraft and mandatory use uh, for children. Why is this so important on the smaller vessels? So first, the NTSB generally do not investigate accidents on recreational vessels. That's done usually by states. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, typically our accident investigations look at commercial vessels. However, uh, personal flotation devices on any vessel save lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, often when vessels end up, oh, excuse me, when people end up in the water, they're overcome by the cold water and they're possibly injured. They may have sustained a head injury or uh, otherwise injured. Uh, they might be bleeding. So keeping their head above water mm-hmm. and aiding in the in the Identification, uh, if it's dark outside, the life preservers have a reflective tape on it. There's usually a whistle attached to it with a light. So it's really important for people to wear a life preserver because uh, if they end up in the water, they can be quickly overcome by hypothermia. Mm-hmm. And, and this life preserver also helps in the recovery of the individual 
while they're waiting rescue. So they can't, I can't emphasize this enough, wearing personal flotation devices, particularly for young people or anyone who's not accustomed to being on board uh, vessels, sailing vessels in particular, the mass can, you know, change sides and the boom can uh, change sides, if you will, and knock someone overboard very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important to wear life, uh, personal water, you know, personal water protection, PFDs. Mm-hmm. Sure. We are also approaching Memorial Day weekend. Ah, yes. Um, the unofficial mm-hmm. kickoff of summer. <laughs> and so we know that, you know, one of the places everybody is going to be heading are, are is to the water. Um, and, and your, your office has done some work on, um, around shared waterways and, um, and so just wanted to, um, kind of give you an opportunity to just talk about the importance of that. I know that, you know, you can go anywhere. We're in the DMV area and you can rent for a couple hours, a paddleboard or a kayak or a canoe, um, with really little experience. I will say you can rent those sort of things, but we know that, um, there are lots of types of vessels and recreational vehicles that are on the water at, at given times. And just the importance of, I guess, rules of the road, <laughs> rules of the water, mm-hmm. um, and what ti- whatever tips you have for people who are considering that. Sure. So the first thing I would say is if, if they're personally owned uh, a vessel or uh, buying a boat, make sure the boat's in good condition. Make sure that's maintained. Oftentimes you pull a boat out of winter layup and uh, it's not properly maintained. The engine's not maintained. The gasoline is congealed. It's not been treated. So, um, so making sure the vessel's in good sound operating condition, make sure you test all the gear. And the second thing is, uh, plan your trip. Make sure you have enough fuel. Make sure you, your batteries are charged. Uh, you have communication devices on board. Uh, so that's very important to sort of plan ahead. The second thing is, of course, that we mentioned, make sure you have personal flotation devices for, all those persons on board, maybe a few extra. And also, when you're operating around large vessels, uh, like large shipping channels, uh, in and out of Chesapeake Bay, perhaps, or Puget Sound, uh, you have a lot of vessels that cannot see you. If you're dead ahead of the vessel, it's very hard sometimes. There's a large uh, visibility gap from the bow of that ship to where you are, Oftentimes, there's a visibility shadow that's obscured, and so it's really important to stay out of the that blind spot, if you will. It's very mm-hmm. dangerous. Um, you may have the right of way. Uh, you may think you have the right of way, but if they can't see you, uh, you'll still get hurt. So it's mm-hmm. important to stay out of the way of large vessels, stay clear of them. Uh, you're more, far more maneuverable than they are, and uh, just stay out of their way. It's, it's safer for everybody. And... Uh, also, finally, don't operate any vessel while under the influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really important uh, for everybody, not just alcohol, but any substance. Uh, and don't be distracted on your cell phones. Often people on a boat, they'll be taking pictures. It's Memorial Day weekend and everyone's happy. And uh, don't be taking that picture that, that distracts you from operating a vessel safely. And also check your local boating laws. Every state now has different boating requirements for licensing in some mm-hmm. cases. So make sure that you've, uh, you're up to date and make sure you have the proper documentation. 
Yeah. It's so interesting because I grew up, sorry, Stephanie, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I grew up in Minnesota, which is the land of 10,000 lakes or more. And so boating is, you know, basically uh, a lifestyle Um, and not just boating, but, you know, um, jet skiing, like Stephanie said, kayaking, um, canoeing, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, when you're on the water, it's it's very different than driving on a highway. There's no lanes, you know, there's no speed limit. Um, people are just kind of doing their own thing. And, uh, you know, while there are boater licenses, um, there's not necessarily a license for someone who's operating one of those um, skidoos or the, you know, the jet skis. And these things, you need to be hyper vigilant almost when you're operating your watercraft because there's no, you know, there's no telling where things are going to come from. You may even have, you know, at least in the northern states, I'm not sure how how uh, how um, common it is for southern states, but I know that they have float planes that sometimes, you know, come down and land on the water and there's no runways for those. So it's just, you know, one thing that I hope that our listeners can can take away is that if you're going out on the water, just be extremely safe. You know, the rules, almost the rules of the road apply just as they do to the rules of the water um, and to, to be smart and be safe and sober. And one example of the seaplanes up, you know, May, like I said, May 31st, a lot of boaters go out for the first time. And uh, Puget Sound up in Lake Union, right in downtown Seattle, there's a seaplane uh, terminal there. And there's a lot of boaters go out and it's um, it can be very treacherous uh, for everyone with kayakers and sailboats mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, powerboats and <laughs> passenger vessels. And suddenly you've got a, a seaplane coming in. So that's a very good point. It's just be very aware of your surroundings and a little bit of planning. You know, look, look mm-hmm. at a chart, nautical chart. Uh, you know, you can buy those at your local local nautical stores, your boating stores, and familiarize yourself with the area. If you're going somewhere you haven't been before, do a little planning ahead of time. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things are marked on charts. So, um, right, sure. I know when. So I grew up in Southern Maryland, and I know it's been many decades since I was a newly licensed driver. But part of our driver education program included boater education. Mm. So we did boater education and also got our boating licenses as part of our uh, driver education uh, program. But for anybody that is interested in seeking out some some boater education or licensing, Morgan, do you have resources that we can point them to if they're they're looking for those opportunities? Well, it varies from state to state. So I really encourage them to check with their uh, state boating law administrators uh, and that That'll vary from state to state. Uh, and so the enforcement of those rules, like you said, some times done by DMV, sometimes they're done by others. Some courses you can do online, and that certification is, is um, accepted by various states. So it, really, it does vary, and I wouldn't want to give any particular guidance uh, for a, a nationwide audience. But to check with your local you know, state and just put in boating laws or boating administrator, and sure. it should come up. Right. But the, I think it's becoming more common that states are requiring a minimum level of knowledge for people to go out, particularly for motorized vessels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the classic scene from Caddyshack where the, the, the person's <laughs> out, out with a large vessel and tearing around a very populated uh, boating environment and uh, ends up crashing his vessel into someone else. But 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 comic until it happens to you. And right. We're trying to tell people, hey, look, you know, stay away from hazards. We have that congested waterway study, and we we looked at the Port of Chicago, where they were renting a lot of watercraft to individuals who had no training, no understanding, and they were getting into channels of um, other vessels, motorized vessels, and it creates a real hazard. Towing vessels can't stop. That's the other big takeaway is most vessels don't have brakes, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you're not really familiar how to operate your vessel, you can get yourself ahead of where you need to be and uh, you can't stop. So it's sure. really, uh, you can slow down, but there's no actual brakes per se. You can throw it in reverse and pray. <laughs> <laughs> I would say not a good safety strategy. No. <laughs> uh, we, when we're docking large ships, you know, the when we're training uh, new officers, it's speed kills, right? That's that's really the you're, you're operating a large ship. It's hundred thousand tons, and you're moving alongside a immovable object like a dock. And you just, if you think you're going slow enough, cut the speed in half because it's sure. very deceptive, and uh, speed can really do more damage both to personnel and to, to property. Right. Right. Well, we are getting to uh, the, uh, towards the end of our podcast. Um, Morgan, is there anything else mm-hmm. that you'd like to share with our listeners um, about passenger and fishing vessel safety before we close out? No, it's uh, we're, we're happy to have these two subjects on the most wanted list. We think that uh, there's a lot of improvements that need to be made very quickly and uh, I do want to thank my staff, uh, the Office of Marine Safety, investigators and writers and managers do a terrific job. I'm very honored to uh, be their director, and, and uh, we look forward to serving the public and keeping the industry safe. Great. Stephanie, any closing thoughts from you? Thank you, Morgan, for your time talking with us today. Happy to finally get an opportunity to talk about um, the great work that your office is doing um, and the ways that you've identified to to improve safety for um, for those enjoying our waterways. So thank you. Yeah. Right. And I'll just echo Stephanie. Thank you, Morgan. And thank you to the Office of Marine Safety. Uh, thank you, Stephanie, for being always an awesome co-host. And thank you, James, uh, James Anderson for being our great producer. To our listeners, um, if you're getting out on the water uh, soon this weekend or this week or this summer at all, please follow our safety tips and be safe, be smart, and stay sober while you are operating your watercraft. Thank you, and we will see you and talk to you at the next episode. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye.